At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For almost a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. And we get to hear from you. On today's episode, I get the chance to sit down with Francis Lamb, the host of the Splendid Table podcast and the vice president and editor-in-chief of Clarkson Potter, and someone whose recipe writing voice and writing writing voice I have admired for a very long time. One recipe of his in particular that has always stuck out to me is this pasta recipe with eggplant that I included in the first Genie's Recipes cookbook, in part because of how simple, delicious, and freeing the technique is. You essentially just let big slices of eggplant sit with salt like a big Jenga tower while you let some smashed garlic warm up in a good amount of olive oil on the stove. And then you chop up your eggplant, let it drink out some of that garlicky oil in the pan, and then add some chopped herbs and whatever liquid. We will come back to that, by the way. So you just add a little whatever liquid to help you get the eggplant on its way, and pretty soon it's turned into this silky pasta-hugging sauce. You brighten it up with a little oven-dried tomato and fresh basil, and you're done. The eggplant has completely melted, carrying all of the other flavors along with it. But I've also always loved the funny, encouraging way that he wrote it, which, while not entirely taking the form of a practical, buttoned-up recipe, was maybe even easier for me to use because it sounded like it was coming from a friend. So I wanted to hear more, both about how Francis came to this technique and to writing it the way that he did, and how he thinks about balancing clarity and voice in recipes now that he oversees codifying them into the cookbooks that so many of us use. At the end of the episode, we will hear from some of you on what you do when you find yourself with a glut of eggplant. But for now, here's Francis to tell us how his complicated relationship started with the fruit that seems to want you to do very particular things to it. I like that you say eggplant like wants you to do particular things to it. I know there are whole cuisines based on you know the, the, the thousand and one uses of eggplant. Um, but for me, I didn't grow up eating a ton of eggplant and um, I learned to cook eggplant in cooking school. And uh, mm. it's funny because like, oh, my cooking of eggplant starts with mushrooms. And by that, I mean, there is this uh, Italian dish, I guess you would call it, but really it's more a method called um, melanzana uh, al fungi, which literally means eggplants, you know, like mushrooms or eggplants of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And what that means is um, you can take another step back. When I was in cooking school, I was taught there was like basically one way to cook mushrooms, right? There's only one correct, true way to cook <laughs> mushrooms. And that is you get your pan 
pretty well slicked with oil, not like a little like teaspoon film. Like you want a nice amount of oil in the pan. You get your pan ripping hot. You get your mushrooms in the pan in one layer, space between each mushroom, so you can let, really let them sear and brown. Um, and I was told you don't touch the don't touch the mushrooms because if you touch them, they start to give off their water and it won't actually sear. Mm. So like that was pounded into my head as gospel. Turns out there are a million ways to cook mushrooms. You don't have to do them that way, mm. but that does make for a really beautiful browned mushroom. And then you can eventually like move them a little bit once they've totally seared on one side and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so basically melanzana and lafungi is, alfungi is you do the same thing but with cubes of eggplant. And eggplant's even trickier because, oh, you know, famously eggplant soaks up a lot of oil. If you don't get it brown, you know, you don't get that great flavor, but you might burn it because it can char you know more easily than mushrooms and you know so you're trying to make sure it's not greasy but you're trying to make sure there's enough oil for it to actually fry it like it totally turned into this whole thing where oh my god this vegetable that is like the lifeblood of like however many cuisines it cannot possibly be this finicky like you cannot possibly have to like <laughs> be like a, a precision scientist to get a mushroom to get an eggplant cooked properly and eventually one day i was like you know what? i'm just not going to do it I refuse. You know, I'm like, I'm, no one's grading me yes. anymore. I, I'm at home. I'm sweating like my eyeballs out. To be completely honest, I don't really even like <laughs> love eggplant that much. Like, <laughs> it doesn't have that much flavor to me. I'm just gonna throw it in a pot and like, let's just see what happens. Uh, it was okay. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> We're talking about it 12 <laughs> years later or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it really worked out. Um, yeah, so basically I was like, look, if you have to go through all these lengths to make sure your eggplant, you know, browns properly and doesn't get too soggy and doesn't like, you know, disintegrate in the pan and doesn't do this and doesn't do that and doesn't do a third thing, I thought, well, what does the eggplant want to do? I mean, that's really what I figured. Like, if the eggplant wants to go soggy, mm -hmm. if the eggplant wants to just sort of soak up some oil, if the eggplant wants to like basically congeal into a puree... Why don't we let it do that and see if it's tasty? And turns out, it's pretty good. This is the dream. Have a chore that you really don't want to do in the kitchen, like babysitting batch after batch of seared eggplant and willing it not to fall apart. And then rather than decide, I'm just not going to buy eggplant anymore, I will order the eggplant parm at the deli and at home it's just broccoli for me, which is honestly what I sometimes do. See what happens if you just let eggplant do what eggplant does and maybe come out with something even better. After this revelation, I wanted to hear if it stuck. Has it changed Francis's relationship with eggplant? Well, sort of. My first thing is like, I usually just buy like Chinese, Japanese, Asian eggplant, like the long slender ones, because they do tend to be a little bit firmer. They don't sog out as much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry guys who like, everyone who likes this recipe, sorry, I betrayed you. Um, but they're sort of easier to stir fry <laughs> and they're easier to just sort of cook if you just want like them in coins and, and discrete coins. Um, and I also find they don't, they're not as finicky uh, in terms of the browning thing. Uh, and to me, I also live in fear of like that eggplant, that, like that one eggplant that just gets really bitter. Um, and I know mm -hmm. you like there are ways like you salt them or you brine them. I'm like I just don't want to deal. Like I just want to cut the eggplant and know it's not going to be like super bitter. So I I, I tend to buy the Japanese and um, eggplants, or Chinese eggplants, uh, whatever you want to call them, and just kind of um, I kind of cook them 
any which way. Like I love like lately this mm-hmm. year, I've been gotten I've like been um, sort of cutting them into wedges and stir frying them with black bean sauce, um, like Chinese mm-hmm. black bean sauce, which I just think is super delicious and like great with rice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or I will like you know do them like you know baba ganoush style. Like I love them like thrown into the oven and just bake the bejesus out of them or you know you can like char them over the flame if you have a if you have a gas burner or like even better if you have you know a grill outside or whatever um and char them to super black and then bake them so you get the whole inside nice and cooked smushy um then you scrape it out of that charred skin and you know puree it with i mean most obviously you would do it with olive oil and lemon and garlic and tahina if you want to do a baba ganoush but like oh that like eggplant puree could be taken like so many different ways like you can like put olives and capers into it for like a really cool spread or you can you know you can or like chili crisp uh and like chili crisp and a little bit of vinegar would be super delicious in there like it's just a a really cool um pretty neutral vegetable that you can like puree like strong flavors into and use a thousand different ways Okay, so in the 12 years since publishing this recipe, Francis has found even more ways to not let eggplant be the boss of him. Even better. And I did ask him if he would use Chinese or Japanese eggplants in this recipe, and he said yes. They might not break down quite as much, but they will still get good and saucy. And with whatever sort of eggplant you find yourself with, you are definitely not locked in with just herbs and garlic and oven-dried tomatoes. I mean, honestly, like... You know, I think this is one of the things that's funny about recipes. Like when you write a recipe, you like, you know, concretize it into, <laughs> you know, uh, forever. And it feels like, oh, you have to have all these things to make it, you know, the way the artist intended. It's like, I don't know. I had those things lying around. Like that's why they made their way into the pot. Um, garlic, obviously, well, is delicious. And with olive oil and with eggplant are, are supernatural. But like, um, as in super, as in very natural together, not as in supernatural, like they will like, you know, call <laughs> upon the other dimensions. Um, but, you know, you can, you can, you know, if you don't have garlic, which why wouldn't you have garlic? But if you don't like garlic, you don't feel like garlic or you just want to mix it up, like any kind of allium would be fine. Um, shallots, onions, even scallions, um, you know, garlic chives, if you're a garlic chive kind of gal, like whatever. Um, but I do like that kind of aroma in there. The rest of the herbs, like, I don't know, man. Herbs are kind of like your own personal vibe. Like, whatever herb you want is is fine with me. The reason the tomatoes made it in there was just because I thought it could use um, a little bit of brightness and a little bit of sweetness. Um, so anything you want to add some, um, a little bit of uh, tartness and a little bit of sweetness is, I think, would be great. But I think it helps to just think about it in terms of, oh, what each of these ingredients does, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can sub in or sub out however you want. Um, I've totally made it without the tomatoes and it's good. It's not, you might like get tired of it after a bowl and a half rather Mm -hmm. than like two whole bowls, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but you can definitely eat it for a whole bowl. Um, Just because I think that little bit of sweetness and acidity does kind of keep you going back for more, but I mean, if you don't want to sit there and dry tomatoes, you can use fresh tomatoes, you can use a splash of vinegar, you can use a, a squeeze of lemon, um, and maybe a little bit of sugar. Um, I mean, just because it's eggplant, and, and we were talking about baba ganoush before, if you want to like top the dish with a little um, drizzle of pomegranate molasses, mm. that could be super delicious. Um, yeah, I mean, like, really, you can kind of play around. I mean, let's be honest, like, eggplant 
doesn't have a ton of flavor of its own. So it can play in a lot of different ways. Like, I don't know, like if you, if you want to use it, if you want to use this as a sauce and not think in terms of pasta, but think more in terms of um, Asian noodles and you want to stir some chili oil into it or some chili crisp. Um, my neighbor's really into it right now. <laughs> yes, they're like banging crisp. the floor in, in, in approval. <laughs> chili crisp and the eggplant <laughs> pasta, yes. Um, it's okay, I'll send up later. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that could be super delicious. I also think, um, I don't, think I added this to the recipe when I wrote it, but something that gives you some umami would be great. Like you can um, grate some Parmesan into it or a splash or two of fish sauce or soy sauce. I bet it would be super delicious. Um, if you want to go all the way there, like a little sprinkle of MSG would be great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, really, I think the key to this recipe is like... Um, the physical key to the recipe is the fact that when eggplant is cooked down um, and left to kind of stew in its own juice or maybe with a little splash of water or stock, it makes a very nice puree that has a nice texture that can be like just a really mm. good pasta sauce. Um, but for me, it was more like a psychological. <laughs> like the, the foundation of the recipe is more psychological. It's like you don't have to stress about cooking eggplant, oh, the perfect right way. You know, like you can just let it cook and then flavor it and doctor it however you want. Um, so, yeah, to me, it was more, that was more the thing than anything else. It was just like, oh, like I don't have to be here being like, oh my God, I have to like, you know, be like this vigilant figure <laughs> over the stove and like flip every little cube of eggplant right when it's golden brown like i don't care man yeah. just let it go you reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans but in the kitchen how well do you care for your greatest tool your hands when mine take a beating cooking and cleaning which is often i use bag bomb to work its wonders on my poor distressed skin created 125 years ago on a vermont dairy farm their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture and their fast absorbing lotion means i can quickly get back to cooking treat your hard-working hands to bag bomb every chef's best friend use code food 52 for 20 percent off your order on bagbomb.com good through 2024 you reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Hey, it's Kristen. Are you feeling as rebellious and alive as I am right now, thanks to Francis? If so, you can head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on other stories like this one and like our recent conversation with Great British Bake Off star Nadia Hussein about her secrets for making every salad taste like the best salad you've ever eaten in your life and one surprising ingredient that reminded her of chewing on a teddy bear's leg in a good way, among other delightful metaphors. In the second half of this episode, Francis and I are going to talk about a memorable battle with a copy editor and how his approach to writing shapes the cookbooks that he publishes over at Clarkson Potter. Meet you back here for that. So we've talked about one of the things that I loved about Francis Lamb's saucy eggplant recipe having the freedom to let your eggplant totally fall apart and just drink in whatever flavors you give it. 
but it was also Francis's writing style and the encouragement and freedom that he gave us cooks to take it our own way, and just how much fun he made cooking eggplant sound. When I included it in the Genius Recipes cookbook, I wanted to preserve his voice as much as I could. And the copy editor came back with a note on this one line in Francis's ingredients list, which is generally not a place where there's room for a ton of voice in a lot of cookbooks. But in this one, Francis said, one cup liquid, stock, water, whatever. I had some water left over from cooking lentils, so I used that. And the copy editor said, really, whatever? Gatorade, could you use that? And so I was like, okay, I'll compromise with you. I will take out the whatever, but we are leaving the rest of it. But remembering this made me wonder, because Francis has gone from being a writer to being a cookbook editor himself, and also definitely relatedly, because I had just handed in an edit of the Next Genius Cookbook the night before we spoke, I wondered if his thoughts on voice versus clarity in recipes have evolved, or if it even really has to be a versus at all. As an editor, I would have told that uh, copy editor uh, to leave it be. How dare you touch my genius? Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think it's really fair. And this is why copy editors are like sort of uh, their own breed of human and why we really appreciate them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's funny to think, well, I I, I don't know how abstract we want to get and how like weirdly philosophical about the editing of recipes, but... um, you know, I think there is something to be said for an extremely literal interpretation of what we put in recipes. And it kind of goes back to this notion that recipes are meant to be quote unquote scientific. Like that's how we think of them. Like when, when the first, like they weren't really called cookbooks, but like books of receipts, which is what we called recipes like back in the day, um, were, were published in our country. Um, not the very first ones, but like in like the 1800s or whatever, uh, there started to be this idea of like home science, right? And it was like, oh, we're trying to bring these principles of science and like higher education and, you know, and all the attendant notions of class into like the home and homemaking, um, primarily for women because women would not know about science otherwise, you know, like that was kind of the vibe, right? Um, You know, there's this notion that, oh, like, Recipes weren't recipes, they were formulas. And so you had to be, the idea is that they're meant to be scientific and like infinitely reproducible. Uh, And you know, reality actually intervenes, right? The reality is not really the case. Like your ingredients are different than my ingredients, your stove is different from my stove, your pans are different than my pan, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, your interpretation of the instruction is different than mine. And I think like, the craft of recipe writing has always had those two things in tension with one another. Um, And there's no right way to do it. Like there's no single right way to do it. So I appreciate when a copy editor comes with a very literal interpretation of things because like that's not necessarily how my brain would work. Um, And I think there is, but there's always going to be like human decision-making in the end And part of it is going to be, as a writer, what kind of conversation are you trying to have with your audience? Do you want to be like the kind of recipe writer that is, no, I have tested this 100,000 times. And we know there are, you know, there are whole media empires built on this idea. We've tested this recipe 600 times so you don't have to do everything exactly the way we say and it's going to be perfect every time versus 
hey, yeah, this is how I cooked it. And, you know, yours might come out pretty different than mine, but it's going to be great anyway. Like, let's just talk it through. So, you know, every recipe kind of ends up existing uh, somewhere between mm-hmm. you know, the two poles of those two extremes. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's a right way. To me, as an editor, I'm more, I'm more of the school of thought that is, um, I want to know what my author is trying to do. And if my author is trying to, you know, have their voice and have their personality and make you as a reader feel like, hey, I know this person because I know their voice, because I know their personality, because I'm reading it and it feels like someone's talking to me and that makes me feel like, hey, like it's empowering because I can go and do this thing and I can not stress about the things they're telling me not to stress about. And it just makes me feel psyched to go and cook this dish that, um, you know, I'm going to make tasty no matter what. Then cool, let's go with that. Like let's lean to that. Or if you're the kind of author that is more like, hey, I have done this a hundred different ways so you don't have to come down this path and do step one to step seven exactly as written, then, you know, let's make sure that everything is super crystal clear and all the most literal interpretations are involved. I don't have a personal philosophy on it. It's more, what does the author want to do? And, you know, let's try to get them to where they want to be. And now here are some of our listeners' favorite ways to boss their eggplants around. Hi, my name is Devangi and I'm calling in from New Jersey. Today I want to share with you all a traditional Gujarati dish known as Ravaya in which whole baby eggplants, stems still intact and attached to them, are stuffed with flavorful thick spice mix made from roasted chickpea flour, peanuts, coconut and lots and lots of aromatics like ginger and garlic. Hi, it's Karen from Lemon and Salt Kitchen. I live in Chicago, and one of my favorite eggplant recipes has to be from Nigella Lawson in her 2003 book, Forever Summer. It's sliced thinly and grilled and filled with feta and mint and chili that's just amazingly creamy and spicy and salty and goes perfectly with the smoky eggplant. It's really simple, like seven ingredients, but put everything together and it tastes super complex, and I could eat this all summer long. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Francis Lamb, host of the Splendid Table podcast and vice president and editor-in-chief of Clarkson Potter. Our show is put together by Coral Lee, Amy Schuster, and Emily Hanhan. If you have a genius recipe to share because of the way it made you feel when you cooked it or when you read it, I would always love to hear from you at genius at food52.com. And if you like the genius recipe tapes, where if you want to put Gatorade in your pasta, we will not judge you. Do take a sec to rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Talk to you soon.